must be prepared for God's increasing healing anointing amongst us. I feel he's highlighted to me a little passage in 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, do feel free to go to it. I know it's in the notes, but it's always useful to see the verses around it. I'll be referring to one or two of them as we go. And uh, just to see it in the black and white of your own Bibles, this is the Word of God. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And whilst uh, this really is about... uh, any number of spiritual gifts, I feel for us today, we can apply it into the area of healing. Paul wrote this letter, actually it was the 13th and last letter in our New Testaments that Paul wrote. These, if you like, are his last words to the church, if you like. He was on death row, uh, he was imprisoned in Rome and awaiting death. And this short instruction, I feel, would be really helpful for us. Here it is. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I'll say it again. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Holy Spirit, help me now to bring some of this to life so that we can be shaped by these instructions and so grow in all that you have for us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Firstly, I'd like to say that um, there are two conditions for anyone who's going to perform miracles, act in the supernatural, and heal people. I might be stating the obvious, but it's worth pulling these things out. To do the things that Jesus did, firstly, you need to have put your faith in Jesus. And secondly, you need to have received the Holy Spirit. Two conditions. And Paul was writing to his much-loved apprentice, this guy called Timothy, my namesake, in whom he recognized both of these characteristics, both of these qualities. And he, and he went to length to point them out again. Timothy, be reassured. You might have been going for some time in your faith. You might have already seen much fruit in your areas of ministry. But let me remind you that you have faith in Jesus and you, you have received the Holy Spirit. So faith in Jesus, verse 6, starts for this reason. So we need to look at the preceding verse to understand what that reason was. For this reason, well, verse 5 says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. See, Paul was convinced that Timothy had genuine living faith in Jesus, in his divinity, in his resurrection from the dead, in his lordship over life. And Timothy, who'd put his faith in this Jesus as Savior and Lord, had received all the benefits that come through faith, forgiveness for sins, received a relationship with God, and eternal life after death, of course. Do you have the same faith? This living, sincere faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because you can, even today. 
And secondly, Paul was convinced that since coming to faith, Timothy had received the Holy Spirit. He said, Timothy, look, I was there on at least one of the occasions this happened. And he was possibly referring to the very same occasion in his first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And he said, look, I was there and the whole leadership group of the Ephesian church were there and we laid hands on you, Timothy, and we prayed for you and we prophesied over you. I was there, we saw, we saw evidence that the Holy Spirit came on you. And he might be referring right here again to that very same moment. Have you received the Holy Spirit since coming to faith in Jesus? The promise is for you. And if not, you can today. And you know, if you can say yes to both of those things, you are eligible to heal the sick. Hallelujah. You are eligible to set people free from spiritual oppression, to perform miracles, to operate in the supernatural. In other words, church, you get now to do the stuff. As Angela Kem often, if you were there at Ashburnham, puts it, to do the stuff, the stuff we read Jesus doing and has commissioned his followers to do after him. You know, there are no other criteria. There are no other courses, there are no other qualifications you need. A spirit-filled Christian is immediately enrolled as a healing apprentice. Not to go on a course and to study in a classroom setting the theory, but to go and heal the sick. And yes, you'll get on the job training as you go about your business, about your daily activities, at work, at play, at leisure, wherever. But he's with you for these things. You might ask yourself, well, what was the gift that Paul might have been referring to in Timothy's case? Because he referred to a gift that he received through the laying on of hands. And I think helpfully, actually, uh, Paul is very vague at this moment, helpfully for us, because actually the Holy Spirit is the gift. And the Holy Spirit can enable us in a, ho in a whole host of ways to do the stuff, to operate in the supernatural, including in the things of healing. Now, if you push me, I think I would suggest to you, possibly the gift he was referring to for Timothy was that of being an apostle. Paul had that gift from Jesus, and I believe others today, as in those days, are given that gift. And Timothy, I believe, was one of them. Uh, you can debate that. It's not clear, but we can talk about it on another occasion behind the scenes, perhaps. For us, though, I do feel it can, again, include for many of us different things, different enablings in the spirit, different priorities in the spirit. But for us corporately, there's a gift of healing for us. So how do we grow in these things? Well, let's look at this instruction to fan into flame the gift of God. Because already right there, there are two implications. Firstly, if we've received a gift from God in the supernatural, we need to grow in it. There needs to be growth. We can't just simply receive the Spirit's gift in its mature form, would be the implication of Paul's instruction here. So in regards to healing, therefore, I wonder whether we can at least expect in most cases, maybe not every time, the need for us to grow in our healing gift. Maybe it will start where some people are healed. And then as it grows, more people are healed. Where in the beginning, maybe certain minor illnesses 
God comes to heal. And over time, as we grow in these things, more and major illnesses are healed in Jesus' name. That seems to be the implication. Secondly, an implication is that we have a responsibility ourselves for growing in the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit, thankfully, is responsible for imparting the gift to us, but from then on, we have a significant role to play. We're accountable to God, I would suggest, for how we use our spiritual gifts. I know the parable of the talents uh, teaches us, doesn't it? But it doesn't matter really how many talents you're given. It's really about what you do with them, how you invest in them. But such is the case with our natural abilities and gifts. Praise God for them, so we call them natural. I think is also applicable to our spiritual gifts and anointings. We're accountable to grow in them, and we've got a role to play. Prophetically, recently, growing in a healing anointing has been likened to scouts learning to tie knots. And are like uh, uh, children growing into their new school uniform. But similarly, Paul instructs us to fan into flame the gift of God. And so, of course, I'd encourage every one of you to take every opportunity to receive more of the Holy Spirit. But don't be fooled into thinking that impartation alone is going to be enough. There's things for us to do. There's a part for us to play. I was reading about some folk who have operated consistently and powerfully in the area of healing for some years. And one of them recalls that um, there was a particular month relatively recently where he said he saw more healing in that one month than in his previous 24 years of praying for the sick. And he'd seen some stuff in those 24 years <laughs> relatively. And then he said this, the only thing I can attribute it to, that sudden increase, was that for 24 years I'd been knocking on the door of healing, praying for the sick, taking every opportunity, moving out when God directs me to do so. And I'd seen some things, but consistently been knocking on the door of healing. So fanning into flame, what does that mean for us in this area? In the previous letter to Timothy, Paul had said, look, don't neglect your gift. And now he says, fan it into flame. He turns a double negative into a positive. Don't neglect it, now fan it into flame. Because Timothy, like us, needed regular reminders to keep using the spiritual gifts, to develop in them and in the supernatural. And I was struck by the word fan itself. I don't think it was, you know, like a, a fan, fan, fan. But you know, when you, when you have a fire, you might use some bellows to kind of fan it up, to get some air into it, to keep the fire burning. Other translations talk about kindling, to kindle the gift or to stir it up. It's a gentle action, but it's very deliberate. This is not a, a gun-ho approach. This is not a bull-in-a-china-shop approach to growing in the gifts. Just willy-nilly going out there every single possible time in, in disregard, really, to the spirit or the situation. No, this is about nurturing. It's about fostering, maybe even agitating, stirring in the things of God as we press on in these gifts until it grows from a, a, a flicker to a flame, to a fire to a furnace for God and his power. 
So what can we do? Let's get practical about it. What can we do to fan our healing anointing into flame? If God's gifted us corporately in this way, what can we do together to press into these things? I just want to suggest a few things for you. Firstly, we can keep going. Keep going. Possibly the hardest thing to do, but sounds so simple. We can keep going. Maybe, who knows, at the start, it's going to be one in a hundred of those we pray for who's healed. Maybe it's already five in a hundred, five percent. I don't know, maybe for some of you, you're seeing greater levels than that, but maybe together it's around there. So therefore, we're going to need, or we may need to pray for a hundred people before we see a breakthrough. But as we grow, and if we want to grow to 10%, 20%, 50% of those we pray for being healed, we're going to need to pray for some hundreds more to allow that rate to increase. Of course, God can sovereignly step in, go from flat to 100%. Who knows? I was so encouraged by Liz's testimony a couple of weeks ago where she said she was inspired by a friend who now says 75% of those she prays for are healed. Praise God. Lord, we'll have some of that, please. Help us too to, to fashion this gift into that level of success and breakthrough. And we could, I guess, just stand around asking for more impartation. Do that. Take every opportunity. Go to Time in God's Presence tonight. Uh, time in God's Presence tonight. Soak in more of the Holy Spirit, but don't leave it at that. Let's also take every opportunity to pray for the sick. Secondly, a practical thing we can do to fan into flame this anointing is about learning to hear God's voice. Really, this is the gold. This is the gold. We need to learn to hear his voice, respond to his promptings, and look for his leading in all things of life, by the way. We're told that Jesus healed people when he could see the Father doing something, and then he went to that. For us, we're living in the Spirit. Life is to be in the Spirit. So we need to learn to discern. What's the Spirit about? Where's the Father looking right now? And if you're still early days in learning to hear God's voice, then I encourage you with these two practical ways of growing. Firstly, learn to sense and be aware of God's presence when we're worshipping together. Related to what we were talking about earlier. There's distractions, yes, yes, but can we learn to discern the presence of God? It's a great place to learn to hear him when we're observing what's going on, when we're seeing him breaking out in different ways, where things are said or, or, or songs are sung, where the presence of God is manifest, is present amongst us. Secondly, I'd encourage you with this. It's, it's regarding your Bible reading. We don't read our Bible because we should do because we ought to. We read our Bible because it's an opportunity for God, by his Spirit, to speak to us, for us to learn how to hear him what he has to say for us. This word, whilst it's a historic document, it is living and active. It's alive. God wants to speak to you through the word of God today, tomorrow, the next day, and the day after. And learning in that quiet place with the word of God and the Holy Spirit, how to hear him for yourself is a great way of learning how to hear God's voice in all sorts of other contexts. So I've put a little list together for you. You'll find them in your notes. As I've done reading, as I've tried to learn from those who are many steps ahead of me uh, about healing, these are some of the things that they say that they use to identify and sense when God is speaking, when he wants to do something. It's a cue then to act, maybe to approach, to offer maybe prayer 
or to ask God again, what is it you want me to do in this moment? What do you want me to say or to share? So you can take that away. You can look through some of that. I think they're really quite self-explanatory. Uh, just to highlight maybe one or two of them, halfway down the list, when someone reminds them of someone else. I hadn't heard come across that one, but I was reading in a book, someone who testified again and again, if, if someone catches my eye and I, they make me think of somebody else, God seems to use that. And so I've learned to respond to that and then ask, what is it about the person I know that's common to this person here? And then get some type of word of knowledge that they can use then in a conversation whether it's with a stranger or somebody they know. I had to go, and I said, are you unhappy with where you live and want to move house? And they said, no. And I said, oh. So I learn. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm stepping out. I'm giving that. I thought, well, someone did. I did suddenly think of somebody the other day who looked like someone I knew as I was walking past them. I went back. They didn't look like that. And actually, that gave me some encouragement that maybe God is in this. They don't really look like the person they I was reminded of. Uh, anyway, I got to approach them, and they got to say no. And uh, I learned that it's okay to make mistakes. And I learned that it's, it's going to be a process. Maybe there was something in it, but maybe I got the wrong thing in it. Uh, and I learned that it doesn't matter. You can, you can step through these things without making a complete fool of yourself. I didn't say, you remind me of my dad. Uh, I didn't start like that. So thank God for that. Um, when there's an unusual coincidence, we had one of these in life group the other day. I won't give details away, but someone early on, when some of us were, were still gathering, shared a, a concern for a particular condition. Later in the evening, someone else had come in by now and then shared a testimony for how God used them for that very same condition in bringing peace to a situation there and then, very evidently and powerfully. So clearly, the conclusion eventually was made, yeah, this is no coincidence. The same condition has come up a need, and a testimony. We must pray and see what God would do. We talk about, they talk about gifts of faith. Look, we've got faith, perhaps, that God can heal, does heal today, but there's sometimes a moment when you get this extra boost, this, this internal conviction that God wants to do this right now. I don't know where it's, it's God. And that's the gift of faith. There's a gift of word of knowledge that some talk about, we talk about on occasion, this insight that God gives about someone or a particular condition that you couldn't have known beforehand. People sometimes say they experience a sympathy pain or, or heat or some physical sensation in a part of their body to give them the cue that God wants to heal that particular area of their life. Or people talk about seeing a picture or a scene play out in their mind's eye or, or something popping into their thoughts, suddenly a word, a phrase, an expression, and that being of God and being a, a cue for stepping out and seeing what he would do. But with all these things, and we all need to learn, don't we, how God speaks and to us particularly, I think what we need to be getting used to is people saying again and again, I think God's saying this. We can all try that. We can all do that. We're not couching things with, thus says the Lord, that would be unhelpful anyway, but we can come on a Sunday morning, life group, in other contexts, when we meet with people, you know, I think God might be saying this. And you say, if it, if it doesn't resonate, then okay, I got it wrong. But if it does, then we wouldn't have known without going for it, you see. And thirdly, under this heading, I'll just suggest to you, and this is maybe relevant for many of us, 
We need to lower our expectation of God's volume. What do I mean? I mean, I imagine, I wonder whether many of us, and I include myself, are hearing from God more often than we realize. And I'm like this as well. Maybe growth will come when we stop waiting for the impression to gain strength before we conclude, oh, that's God. Or we stop waiting for another confirmation before we're prepared to conclude, this is God. He's speaking to me. I think it's, there's something in trying to change the mindset of, I'm going to assume it's God, unless when I discern, it's clearly not. There's something about that, of concluding quickly that God is speaking to us. I think it's going to accelerate our learning process. It's going to accelerate the growth of our healing anointing as we do that together. Uh, another point here, walking through fear. Thankfully, not only does the Holy Spirit impart the gift to us, but he also helps us fan it into flame. Hallelujah. I find this really helpful. I'm so grateful that verse 7 follows verse 6 in this little passage. It reminds us, for the Spirit God gave us, past tense, if you've received the Spirit, this is past tense. The Spirit God gave us, collective, corporate, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So firstly, I feel the Holy Spirit is saying to us, he will help us walk through fear. See, fear is a main barrier. When we were praying unbeknownst to people about what I was bringing today, that topic came up. Fear is a barrier for us growing in the things of the supernatural, including healing. In some ways, in this passage, it puzzles me. Paul, you've mentioned timidity as the thing that the Spirit doesn't bring. So why don't you then go on, as maybe I would have done, to list courage as one of the three things that the Holy Spirit does give? But he doesn't do that. The word power doesn't, isn't a surrogate for boldness. It's talking about the dynamite, the dynamism of God, the powerful breakthrough. Why don't you do that, Paul? Why don't you say, no, the Spirit gives us courage? Well, I don't know for sure, but my conclusion is that perhaps the Holy Spirit doesn't eradicate fear, but he gives us all that we need to walk through it. And as we do so, to see it dissolve and evaporate before us. I'm so uh, wowed, really, by the early church in the book of Acts and how they went from a timid bunch behind locked and closed doors to such a courageous group of disciples following Pentecost once they'd received the things of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder if it wasn't so much that the Holy Spirit, they experienced the absence of fear than that they just experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. And experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit just changes our calibration and our perspective of these things. The fear may still be there, but maybe now in a different place, overshadowed by other things. See, we can walk through fear because it's the Holy Spirit's power. It's not our power when we're praying for the sick. The pressure's off us. It's the Holy Spirit's love in us, for us, and for others through us. It's the Holy Spirit's love 
that compels us because love eclipses fear. It's in its shadow. And it's the Holy Spirit's fruit of self-control, self-discipline that helps us to think clearly and to act intentionally. Praise God. If you feel an absence of fear, praise God. But maybe it's only because, and I don't want to get into a theological argument with you, that the presence of God is so on you. You so know the power and the love and the discipline of this Holy Spirit that you're able to trample on it and step through it. And for those of us who are still struggling with fear, don't wait for the absence of fear. I think, but, but be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is in you as he's in us with his power and love and self-discipline. And I want to just focus my last session, really, section on that dynamic of the Holy Spirit. I was really drawn to it. Some translations talk about it being like a sound mind. I think there's two elements to it. There's something of our thinking that needs to be right, that we need to be disciplined about. And so doing, that needs to work out in how we act intentionally in pressing on in the things of healing and the supernatural. So I've just jotted down a few things I think uh, may be relevant for us as we press into our healing anointing. First one may be very familiar to those of us who have done the Freedom in Christ course or other things similar. We need to spot the lies and replace them. If we press into things of God, then we're going to, in a more intense way, experience the lies from our enemy. He's going to say things like, God doesn't heal today. He's going to tell us things like, God doesn't use me, doesn't use you. He's going to say things like, um, oh, you're not mature enough, you're not ready, that kind of prayer or opportunity or healing need. These are going to be lies, they're going to be more intense, and we therefore need to be readied with the truth that we replace them with, that God does heal today, that God does use us, each one of us, that I am qualified because I'm in Christ and I've received the Spirit and nothing else counts. We need to, secondly, deal well with disappointment. Again, someone who's seen much more healing than I've seen and as a church in the UK, relatively are seeing a lot of breakthroughs even at the moment compared to the, to the rest of us. They say this, disappointment among Christians is the biggest barrier to spiritual breakthrough. I don't know if that resonates with you or not. It certainly does me. Disappointment. I thought I was going to get healed. I prayed for them, but nothing seemed to happen. I'm not puncturing faith, by the way, by raising this. I'm helping us to be prepared to press into this anointing all the more. We need to deal well with disappointment. And okay, if our strike rate suddenly goes to 100%, maybe we won't have to. Lord, if you did come good, we would never hit Neil to deal with disappointment. But I am encouraged that even Timothy, even Paul, the suggestion is in Scripture that they both had health problems at times. They had to deal with their own disappointment. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we need to deal with it also. We need to give time to that. We need to do it well and thoroughly. There's pain involved for many of us, particularly if you've been asking for healing for yourself or someone else for a long period of time. How many different ways can I pray the same thing? And I just felt the four-step suggestion that Wendy Mann in her book, Naturally Supernatural, puts, puts it are really helpful. So I'll just, just bring them to your attention, really. You can look in the book if you want some more details. She says, express your disappointment to God. 
He says, tell God how you really feel. Connect with the pain of it and the anguish. The Psalms help so much in those things, don't they? Go to the Psalms, they'll give you the language, they'll give you the ability to articulate how you are, how you're getting on. And then she says, speak out truth. And she means out loud. Speak out truth. I don't know the truth. I don't know whether this person's getting, well, speak out the truth you do know. That God is loving. That God is good. That God is great. We've been having that drummed into us by the Holy Spirit this morning already in our worship time. God is good. God is great. He is powerful. He loves. And then, then fourthly, and I think this is really valid for many of us, Lay down your right to understand. Maybe it's a Western thing. Maybe it's a British thing. I don't know. We try and understand everything. There's no collection of sermons. There's no uh, perfect number of Bible verses or courses you can go on where the equation is all absolute and complete. You know exactly what's going on, why this happened, why that didn't happen. It doesn't exist. There will be mystery in the area of healing. And we need to just accept that. You're not. God, his prerogative. Thirdly, we need to focus on obedience, not outcome. We're already uh, being reminded of this so many times. I think this is going in, into us more and more, which is good. We know that our identity in Christ has nothing to do with our performance. Nothing. We know that we can be secure, whoever we are, whatever things happen around us, because we are in him. Hallelujah. Uh, but we need to discipline ourselves to hear the applause of heaven when we step out in obedience for him. It does take discipline to do that, to hear that, to make sure that our gauge of success, our measure of success is completely around obedience and not the outcome. Look, don't get me wrong, we want outcomes. We want people to be healed. But for my discipleship and your discipleship, it's, it's, it's our obedience that God is applauding. Fourthly, we need to be real and straightforward. This is a real discipline. We need to make sure we're, we're hot on. And I'll suggest to you, church, it's a simple thing. If the symptoms are still there, don't claim there's been a healing that they need to then go and receive. I don't think that's helpful. You may argue through theological gymnastics that that may be the case. But I would say even if it were, it's not pastorally very helpful at best. And it's pastorally damaging at worst. I understand faith is important. We need to stir faith. I understand that perseverance is important. We need to spur one another to persevere. I understand that what Jesus achieved 2,000 years ago on the cross was so cosmic that it affected the whole of history and the whole of the future. I understand that. I understand that for us as believers in Christ, uh, we will all go into eternity with healthy resurrection bodies that will never fail for all time. Hallelujah. I, I realize for us as believers, it's just a matter of timing when we experience our healing. It may be this side of death or it will be the other side of death. Yeah, I understand that. But I, as a northerner would tell us, let's call a spade a spade. And if let someone else... Bring the testimony. I once was blind, now I see. I'm not going to tell a blind person, you're not blind anymore, you're healed. Go and receive your healing. I don't think that's helpful for them. It's passing the buck onto somebody else. 
I think we, what we can do, though, is focus on what God is doing. Because sometimes we need an exit strategy, don't we? If something's not quite happened or we can't quite tell in the moment whether or not there's been some healing, we do want to give thanks and focus on what God has done. God, thank you that you're speaking to me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm hearing your voice a little bit more clearly as I grow in these things. Thank you, Lord God, that as I step out with an offer, somebody responded. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, you have them in mind. Thank you, God, for this interaction that we've had where we've been able to express care and compassion for somebody. Thank you, Lord God, you do seem to have come upon this person, if not with healing, with love and comfort and encouragement and joy. Praise God for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this might not be any different tomorrow, but, Lord, you may not have finished with this person yet. Thank you, Lord, that this may not be any different tomorrow, but across us as the church, you're doing these kind of things. Others of us are getting to grow and see more of this around us. Praise God. Let's thank God for what he is doing, even if we can't yet give thanks for what he hasn't done. And then sixthly, which we're pretty good at, but sometimes we need to get over our Britishness, is to celebrate every healing testimony. We, we love testimonies. We haven't had time for them this morning. We will uh, have them, I'm sure, in future weeks. Uh, but even if they get familiar, oh, we've heard this one before. Let's not get blasé with being enthusiastic, with giving God the glory, with applauding him. Because I think on, the, on, on one hand, it will show a level of maturity that we're working through disappointments. And we're working through getting a good right thinking on these things, a perspective. But I think also it may just be key for God entrusting us with even greater miracles as we celebrate those he has performed amongst us. I want to stop talking there. I'm going to encourage us to stand. I'm going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us right now, today.